the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got questions concerning elder or estate law? Attorney Mike Connors has the answer. He's been recognized as one of New York's top lawyers by New York Magazine and brings over 30 years' experience to the table. Call him now at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. And Ask the Lawyer. Here's Mike Connors. We are gathered here on hallowed ground. Horses Okay, here we are gathered on hollow ground. You're listening to Ask the Lawyer with me, Mike Connors, and the reason it's hollow ground, well, there are two reasons for that. One, we're right next to Trinity Church's graveyard. The cemetery, I guess, is the today's word, but it would have been graveyard it's back then. It's a graveyard. Then. And, you know, we talk about the Civil War an awful lot, and of course, coming up in a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking to one of the founders of the magazine, The Hollow Ground, Ed Bars. Ed Bars, 93 years old, is going to be at the Civil War Roundtable on April 12th at 5.30. So, you know, I don't know how many more chances you're going to get to see Ed Bars. Get your reservation in. Right. So join us at the Civil War Roundtable on April 12th to 3 West Club, 3 West 51st Street. And, you know, the good thing is after the meeting, you'll be able to greet Ed Bars, talk to him. And you can ask him any question. I understand there's a game going around today where you ask Ed Bars any question about <laughs> any war, and he'll answer it. So call for reservations at 718-341-9811, 718-341-9811. Now, for those of you who don't know the show, it's it's kind of a disjunted show because we first part of the show we talk about estate planning and elder law, and the second part of the show we talk about history, politics, religion, nostalgia, whatever, and we talk to different people. Tonight we're going to be doing something that we've never done before and I'm never going to do anyway, but uh, <laughs> we're going to talk a little bit about makeup. But uh, let, let me get the, I guess let me get the question in on the phone, George, while he, you know, he's first online. So let's get George's questions answered. Hi, uh, Michael. Hey, yes. George. Hey, how, how you doing? Uh Quick question. Uh, what's the difference between a living will and a health care proxy? Okay. You know, that question gets asked all the time. Uh, a health care proxy is a writing that's witnessed by two people where you appoint an agent, usually a family member, doesn't have to be, to make medical decisions on your behalf if you can't speak for yourself. And pretty much everybody should have a health care proxy. You want somebody to have access to your medical records and make those decisions. The living will is instructions on how you want those health care you know, decisions to be made. Now, you don't necessarily need a living will if your family and you are in the same wavelength or whatever, or if there's no conflict in the family. But a living will, usually the thrust of a living will is if I am terminally ill and if I have a heart attack, I don't want to be resuscitated. If at a certain point, maybe I don't want tubular feeding. And that's one of the toughest questions about a living will because 
you know, it's Father Pavone spoke about this a, a few months ago, but he saw Terry Schiavo die, and he said it was a horrible experience where the feeding tube was withdrawn from her, and she just shriveled up. And it was a horrible sight to behold. So, you know, that's one of the questions. If you're in a coma, let's say you're not on any machines, you're not on life support, you're just in a coma, do you want the feeding tube to be withdrawn? And and those are some of the questions that can be answered by the living will. Nobody wants to be on a respirator for 20 years, you know, in a iron lung type of situation you see in some of the old movies. But at the same time, the tough question, and I always say this with clients when they they don't know what where they're going, if you're in a coma, you're not on any machines. Do you want to be starved to death? And that's the tougher question. Everything falls from there. But the health care proxy is the more important document. That's where you choose somebody to make your decisions if you can't speak for yourself. Thank you, George. Okay. Beth, we have two, uh, two email, email questions. questions. So let's get them because we don't right. have a lot of time tonight. We've I only know. got about 10 minutes. The first one is from Mabel. Is the money received from the sale of inherited property taxable thank you well ordinarily not and that's you know one of our questions usually when we you know take questions from email because we don't have all the facts assuming the person dies in the you know inherited assets somebody dies at present and you sell the assets within a couple of months there's not going to be tax on the sale of the the assets because there's what's called the stepped up basis in other words if you own an asset on the day you pass away the capital gains taxes that are associated with that asset are wiped out by your death. It's called a stepped-up basis. Assets step up to their date of value. So inherited assets are usually not subject to income tax. Now, the, you know, the, the problem or the exception on that is let's say you inherited the house 10 years ago and the house was worth $500,000 10 years ago and now it's worth $900,000. Well, yes, then you would pay capital gains on the difference between the date of death value, let's say $500,000 10 years ago, and $900,000, let's say, when you sell it. But, you know, under ordinary circumstances, if somebody inherits a house for a million dollars, a person died a couple of months ago, you sell that house, ordinarily, you can get a capital loss because your closing costs, which you pay the broker, the attorney, and the transfer taxes, if you live in New York City, are a deduction. And that becomes a loss for the seller. And that's one of the things we do at Connor Sullivan. There are a lot of people who don't realize that a lot of times there are tax benefits that uh, a lot of people who are not associated with dealing with people who pass away in inheritances, they don't know how to file the return properly. And that's one of the things we do at Connors and Sullivan. So if we do your closing on that, most of the time we will do the tax return. And there are a lot of people who don't get all the deductions and all the losses they could get in some of these situations, and we work very hard to try to keep the uh, the taxes to a minimum. Steve, Bay Ridge, hometown. What's up, Steve? Hey, Mr. Connors. Uh, quick question for you. Do you think Donald Trump is going to get rid of the estate tax? Uh, and if he does, do you think Governor Cuomo is going to follow him? Well, that's a good question. You need a crystal ball for that one. But Donald Trump wants to get rid of the estate tax. Most Republican presidents in the last few years have. It's just a question of what compromise gets through the Senate. But it's Donald Trump's intention to get rid of the estate tax. Now, one of the problems is without overhauling Obamacare, it's hard to do some of the tax planning because you can't figure out a budget. What Governor Cuomo does is anybody's guess. I mean, they have been following in line. And, you know, actually today's a historic day because the estate tax in New York goes to $5,125,000 as of midnight Friday into Saturday. 
So the, the tendency has been that the federal goes with the state. But at the same time, if the, if the federal is wiped out, I seriously doubt if New York State is ready to say no estate tax. Uh, but that's crystal ball stuff. But I would bet the governor is not going to give away that money from the estate tax that easily. There's too much pressure from the Democrats to tax the rich to get go with that. But I think I think the Republicans in the Senate, I mean, for the first time in a long time, we have a Republican president, Republicans in the Senate. We got a shot of either greatly increasing the amount that needs to be taxed for the estate tax or getting rid of it. And I think it's one of the most unjust taxes that this government has. Beth, real quick, let's get that email question. Okay, this one is from Mildred. What happens to my underage child if I were to pass away and I was divorced? Well, that's a question. I assume the, uh, again, this is the email problems, but I assume the divorced spouse is the father of the child. So, you know, you should do a will no matter what where you appoint a guardian to represent you for that child and also whatever assets that pass under your name are managed by your trustee, your guardian, not your divorced spouse. Now, now we do wills every once in a while where somebody names their divorced spouse's you know, guardian and uh, financial trustee of the child because they think they're the best person to take care, take care of their own children. But in a lot of cases, I know, as a result of divorce, you're not that happy with your ex-spouse and you want to put somebody else in place. And that's where a will can come into play. You can appoint somebody else to be guardian. And y'all, who the child lives with is a question for the court, what's in the best interest of the child. But you're better off having something in place. And you certainly, if you have assets, you don't want to have necessarily have your assets managed by your ex-spouse. You know, that may or may not be what you want, but you certainly want to give that some thought. And, you know, a lot of people say, well, I don't have to worry about anything because I don't have any assets. Well, that's what happened to a lot of people on September 11th. They didn't have any assets, and then there was a tragedy, and then people had million-dollar settlements. And, I mean, the same thing could happen if you're in a car accident. There could be a big settlement. If you're in a plane crash, there could be a huge settlement. Where does that money go? And that's why you want a will. You want it to be handled by someone who's going to do the best thing for your kids. Everybody who has a child under 18 should do a will. No exception. I don't care if you don't have any assets because as a result of your death, you may become very rich. You may have insurance policies you don't really know about and work, and you want to choose the person to handle that money for your minor children. So everybody needs a will. If you want to do a will with us, you're more than welcome to do it. And that's one of the things we talk about in our seminars. I'm going to be doing seminars at the end of this month in Queens. We just finished up Brooklyn. Queens is going to be next. All right, we're going to take a short break. Our next guest is going to be Peggy Grande, who wrote a book about the president will see you now, talking about working for Ronald Reagan. A little bit later, we're going to have on Hall of Fame baseball player Orlando Cepeda. And Orlando Cepeda is a genuine Hall of Fame baseball player. There's nothing cheap about his election to the Hall of Fame. And Beth is going to be speaking to Danielle Wall about makeup. So thank you for listening to Ask the Lawyer. We'll be back in a few minutes. I think I just found myself believing that I didn't need God. I just had everything under control, and church was actually a, a burden to me. I might have gone to church, you know, at Christmas time, gradually quit going. No, I didn't take my faith seriously, which, which probably means I, I never really got it to begin with. You can have a beautiful car, a big fancy home, 
But if you don't have Christ in your life, there's an emptiness that's there. We are enslaved to power or to greed or to wealth or to lust, especially as a man. But there's a true freedom to not be enslaved, but to attach ourselves to God and to be free. Thank God I'm home. Now that I'm back in the Catholic Church, I'm a new person. I love it. There's peace in our home that we didn't have before. You're coming home to a Catholic family where people today just embrace you. If you've been away from the Catholic Church for whatever reason, we invite you to take another look. Visit catholicscomehome.org today. If you're a homeowner age 62 or older and are finding it hard to pay off debt, or how about enjoying your retirement years with less stress? A government-insured reverse mortgage may be the answer or might be the perfect solution for you and your family. Hi, this is Frank Melia, a certified mortgage planner. I've been a mortgage specialist for over 20 years, and I've helped countless homeowners all over the tri-state area tap into a little or a lot of their home equity so they can use it right now. Whenever I sit down with a homeowner, the number one question asked is always, which reverse mortgage option is best for me and my family? I personally will help you decide which reverse mortgage program is best for you. My job is to help active retirees find the best solution for their retirement goals. I do this by educating homeowners with straightforward, objective information and answers. It's free to call and speak with me, Frank Melia, to determine if this FHA program might be able to help you and your loved ones now. Call 888-943-2646. Call and speak with me right now. I'll answer your questions and help you decide if a reverse mortgage is right for you and your family. Make the call now, 888-943-2646. Once again, call 888-943-2646, and you could be on your way to a stress-free retirement. Frank Melia, NMLS number 62591. All loans provided by Quantic Bank, NMLS number 403503. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Got a question for Mike? Call him at 866-970-9622. That's 866-970-9622. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. With me right now is Peggy Grant, who is executive assistant to Ronald Reagan after he left the presidency, and she has a book out right now, The President Will See You Now, My Stories and Lessons from Ronald Reagan's Final Years. How are you doing today, Peggy? Great. Thank you so much for having me on your show. I appreciate it. What did Ronald Reagan do after he left the White House? Well, I'm glad you asked, and you will find everything you ever wanted to know about his post-presidency in the pages of this book. Um, I started working for Ronald Reagan right after he left office, so in 1989, and worked for him for the next 10 years until he um, left the public eye. And so I talk a lot about what those years were like. Um, The beginning years were very active. He traveled quite a bit. He received world leaders from all over the globe who came to see him. He met with ordinary Americans. He wrote a lot and read a lot and still was very engaged in the dialogues of the day. Now, how did you get that job? I started working for him actually as a college student. He had just left office. I wrote to his office asking for an opportunity to volunteer (laughs) when I was finishing college, and that turned into the opportunity of a lifetime to be hired on full-time staff. I worked for the chief of staff briefly as his executive assistant, and then Ronald Reagan's executive assistant he had had for decades retired, and they asked me to take that role. And that certainly is something you don't say no to. So I got to be his face and his voice. I sat right outside his office every day um, for 10 years. And what an incredible opportunity to see this man up close 
personal behind the scenes and see him in ways that nobody saw him. Okay, because all of us who lived through that area, we have a clear impression of Ronald Reagan as a personality, as the president. But you got to know the man. What was that like? Well, I think for people who were fond of him and admired him from afar, they would not be surprised to learn that there weren't two Ronald Reagans. He was exactly the same person behind the scenes as you thought and hoped that he would be. He was charming and warm and gracious and friendly and just really happy. Um, He was appreciative of the people around him. He was very attentive to people around him and just enjoyed meeting with people from all walks of life. It didn't matter to him whether you were the king of a country or um, just a person who was an admiring fan. He enjoyed meeting everybody, and that was great to see. Who were the summer major personalities of the time that Ronald Reagan met, let's say, in the in the late 80s, early 90s? Right. Well, in the book, it's actually fun because um, we had a very small staff, and we all wore lots of hats, so to speak. And so one of my roles was it being his post-presidency photographer. And so in these all these private meetings, when everybody leaves the room, the photographer gets to stay. So I got to be the ultimate fly on the wall for everything with his meetings from other former presidents and sitting presidents to leaders from all around the world, like Mother Teresa and Margaret Thatcher and Gorbachev and Lech Walesa and Brian Mulroney and um, Helmut Kohl. Um, People from all over the world came to see Ronald Reagan. And the interesting thing about doing so during his post-presidency is they didn't have to do that for diplomatic or protocol reasons. They did that because they wanted to. They had a relationship with him. He meant something to them in an impersonal way, not just a political way. And I always admired that that was the way he did diplomacy. It was all about relationships and not just about rhetoric. What personality had the strongest impression on you in that time period? Aside from the president, you mean? Yes. Well, I would say that he was very friendly and close with the former prime minister of Canada, Brian Mulroney. They both were of Irish heritage. They both were great storytellers. And to see these two men that had each led their countries get together and joke and carry on just like old friends was really made an impression on me, especially as a very young person, that people at that level with that sort of title and stature were just ordinary people behind the scenes and could really enjoy each other's company. And of course, meeting Margaret Thatcher, this iconic person of strength who happened to be an amazing woman uh, as a young girl, um, college student, she really made an impression on me, how you can have a graciousness and a spine of steel that can coexist. Ronald Reagan, he wasn't working all the time after he left the White House. Well, he didn't have to. (laughs) He certainly, even when he stepped into the presidency, he was long past the time when a lot of people choose to retire. Uh, But even post-presidency, he came back to Los Angeles. He felt like his voice and his platform was still valuable. And so he did come to the office almost every day. He stayed very active in the conversations of the day without backseat driving the current president. Um, but really kept a very rigorous schedule with travel, with speaking events and receiving visitors in his office. He came to the office almost every day. And even after he announced his Alzheimer's, you know, about five years into his post-presidency, in a lot of ways, the world started saying goodbye to him. And yet for those next five years, we were still saying good morning to him every day as he continued to come to the office. He was a great model of living life full throttle all the way to the end, long past when a lot of people really choose to retire. He certainly did not. How painful was it for you to see the president when he started to show the signs of Alzheimer's? It was very difficult. Um, Anybody who has dealt with somebody who goes through an illness, whether it's cancer, whether it's Alzheimer's, it's very difficult to watch somebody you care for decline in front of you. 
And yet Ronald Reagan taught me a couple of things in that. First of all, you can have a graciousness and there can be an elegance even in your decline. He was an incredible man of faith. He continued that faith all the way to the end. He trusted that God would continue to provide and care for him as he always had done. And so he proved to me that you can live a faithful life all the way to the end, even when circumstances are tough. And then the other thing he really taught me through this was that he was a true public servant. This was something that was very private and very personal. And he and Mrs. Reagan, frankly, could have retired to the ranch and maybe nobody would have ever even known. But that was not the people that they were. And it was very important to him to use his voice and his platform in the current circumstances of his life to benefit and help others. And that's what he and Mrs. Reagan chose to do. And I admired that greatly because that certainly was not the easier path. How did the family react? I know it must have been very difficult. Yeah, I mean, of course, the family, each one of them dealt with it in their own ways. I dealt most closely with Mrs. Reagan, and what a pillar of strength she was. She cared for her husband so lovingly and really um, was was willing in those final years to step into the spotlight a little bit more on behalf of her husband and perpetuating and being a great champion for his legacy. Um, That wasn't, I don't think, a place she usually wanted to be. She much preferred to be behind her husband with that loving gaze that everybody would talk about. And she didn't prefer the spotlight, but she was willing to do it for him. And it was important to her to continue to be a voice and a champion for him. And so I always admired her stepping into that space, even though I knew that was probably not what she preferred. And she was dealing with her own heartbreak and heartache. And she did it in such a brave and courageous way. And I think we all took strength from watching the way she handled those final years. Now, you mentioned that the president, President Reagan, was a man of faith. Yet I remember years ago when he was criticized because he didn't attend church regularly while he was president. That certainly was not his choice. Um, You can understand the security risks that are involved with a sitting president, especially attending church. And even when he came back to Los Angeles, he attended church quite regularly um, until he made the announcement of his Alzheimer's. And then paparazzi would be at the church on Sundays trying to catch a picture of him coming or going. Once they started actually sitting in the pews of the church and taking pictures of him, it was just decided that that probably was not the best thing for the church and for the other parishioners. And so the decision was made once again for him not to attend church. Um, But we did arrange for his pastor to come in and to read scripture with him and to pray with him, which I think was very important in those final years, especially when he wanted to stay connected to his faith and stay connected to God. Peggy, why did you write this book? I think more than ever, people want to know what real leadership looks like. I think there's still a curiosity and a fascination with this man. Was he really what we thought he was? Um, Was there really the civility and the kindness behind the scenes that everybody thought and hoped there was? We see not only in the political landscape, but I think in society as a whole, there is a lack of gentlemanly manners and graciousness and those old school shared values and principles that Ronald Reagan so boldly championed and embodied. And I think if there's ever a time we're wanting to not get over Ronald Reagan, but kind of get back to who he was and what he represented, it's now. And not just in politics, but in society-wide. The president will see you now. My Stories and Lessons from Ronald Reagan's Final Years by Peggy Grand. Thank you very much for sharing your time with us. Hello, this is Father Frank Pavone of Priests for Life. The pro-life movement is winning. 
One of the signs of progress is the growing mountain of medical evidence that abortion harms women, men, and families. Even researchers who identify themselves as pro-choice are coming to this conclusion and publishing their research. Abortion advocates try to hide and bury this information. But so much of it continues to come out that their efforts to hide it will not succeed much longer. Abortion really destroys itself. The more it continues, the more it reveals itself as an enemy of the human family. Those who advocate abortion say they care about women's health. But if they do, then they will have no honest rationale for ignoring the harm that abortion does. As the mountain of medical evidence against abortion grows, so should our hope that it will end. This is Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. For our Ask the Lawyer friends and listeners, you can attend any of Connors & Sullivan's free seminars on elder law, Medicaid, wills, and estate planning, and more. Yes, it's all free and all close to you. So come to Connors & Sullivan's free seminars. On Tuesday, April 25th at Connolly's Corner, 71-17 Grand Avenue in Maspeth, Queens at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 7 p.m. On Thursday, April 27th at Lenny's Clam Bar, 161-03 Cross Bay Boulevard in Howard Beach, Queens at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. and at the Adria, 221-17 Northern Boulevard in Bayside, Queens on Friday, April 28th at 11 a.m. and 3 p.m. Can't go to any Connors & Sullivan's free seminars? Then call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500 for your own free office appointment. Make an educated decision on your estate and family legal solutions today. Just call Connors & Sullivan at 718-238-6500. That's Connors and Sullivan. 718-238-6500. Or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Find out what you're entitled to. Come to a Connors and Sullivan free seminar. For more information, call 718-238-6500 or go to connorsandsullivan.com. Connors and Sullivan. Plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. All right, you have a surprise tonight, everybody. Yes, it's Connors Corner, but it's not Michael Connors, it's Beth Connors. So, oh my goodness, hang on to your hats. We have a beautiful woman next to me, and her name is Danielle Waugh. I can identify with her because she's a Brooklyn girl. Yes. We love Brooklyn. (laughs) I can also identify with her because she has built up her own business. We just want to introduce you to her, and I want her to tell her story. Danielle. Yes. When you were little, it's my understanding that you liked an attorney show. Oh, you're absolutely right. And I want to say thank you so much for having me on this show. We're going to switch it up a little bit today. And I appreciate uh, sitting down with you to share a little bit of my journey. Uh, And you are absolutely correct, Beth. I was absolutely smitten and in love with Matlock. I thought he was just the dream person. And I literally idolized his work. I wanted to be the lawyer, the female version of him, hands down. That was always my goal, and that was my mission as I grew up watching his show on television. He was just 
I mean, he was just great. He was cool. Yeah. He was cool. He had it. He had it down pack. Now, when you were in college, were you thinking about being an attorney? Oh, definitely. Even before I applied to schools, I said, you know, definitely I, I, I wanted to pursue something like that. And along the journey, I, I, I like the showmanship of the lawyer thing. So you got to think when you're watching Matlock, he's up there proving his case. You see a little behind the scenes of him running up and down <laughs> and getting, you know, little bits and pieces to gather his case. But for the most part, it's when he's in that courtroom and he's pleading his case, you know, and that kind of excitement kind of literally lit a fire under me and I was soon informed that that's not really how cases are. <laughs> it's very, very rare that something makes it to the courtroom. A lot of the battles are fought via paperwork. Right. And I was not interested in that. So my dreams of being showmanship just kind of died down a little bit. <laughs> that, that's the the bad news behind the it's scenes. It's very sad for me. Well, when you were in college then, what did, what did you decide to do? I did go on and I did get a criminal justice uh, uh, bachelor's uh, BS, I should mm-hmm. say. And it went off. I went off to graduate graduate from John Jay uh, high, uh, College and it was fine and I was looking for a job as everyone is out of college and doing little odd end work here and there through temp agencies and I got lucky I hit the jackpot and I worked for an amazing company digitizing journals excellent it was a great experience. It was a great experience. Uh, I traveled the world with the company. Uh, I went to so many different countries and represented them as their marketing manager and it was a whirlwind experience you know you got to think from about the age of 22 to 28 29 traveling the world you know on the company dime and literally speaking great to countries adventure. it was a great right. it was a great adventure right and as i got closer to 30 i said hmm <laughs> am i going to be doing this forever you know i didn't feel like i was leaving a love mark I didn't well, feel like did I was leaving something a happen that gave you an opening into a new world. Yeah, I would say I was turning 30 and I didn't want to be pushing papers for someone else. I said this can't be life. I wanted to move on through life doing something that I loved, something that I felt like I felt proud of, something I could call my own. And I remember one day, uh, it was September 2012, August 2012, and um I got a call literally sitting in the company that I'm wor- I was working for at the time. And someone says, hey, we love your work. I said, what work? You know, and they said, well, we see your makeup artist, you work, and we want you to be a part of New York Fashion Week. And I told them I think they had the wrong Danielle. (laughs) (laughs) Because I wasn't publicizing my work at that time, at that level. And so I said, I think you have the wrong Danielle. And they said, no, we, 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 they tried to pronounce my last name, which is War, but when you look at it, it's a little difficult um, if you aren't familiar with uh, the English author for, uh, per se, Evelyn Waugh. So people don't really recognize the name right, when they see right. it. And they said, no, we'd like you to be a part of uh, New York Fashion Week at the Lincoln Center. Why don't you come on down um, and, and be a part of the team? And uh, I went down there. And what happened? A fire literally was lit under my. I'm not sure if I'm a, if I can curse on the show, but a, literally a fire was lit under my behind. Excellent. I Excellent. felt so full of life. I mean, being backstage there, I mean, the lights, the camera, the action, seeing everyone's, just just getting in the hustle and bustle to be bustle to be ready for the show. It was just it was invigorating. It was absolutely invigorating, and uh, from that point on, I knew it's what I wanted to do. 
it's what I wanted to do. So I, within a few months, left my corporate job and went on to work for a company called Matt Cosmetics. I knew there was a lot I needed to know about the industry, a lot I needed to kind of push forward. And I wanted to learn from a company that was leading in that okay. cosmetic trend. So okay. I started to work for them. I started as a part-time artist, just mm -hmm. weekends, and you know worked my way up. And it was always the goal to be on my own. Right. I knew that I was going to start there, but that was not going to be the ending. And along the way, I created my company, Inner Beauty, and I was very purposeful or intentful with the name of the company. Mm -hmm. I didn't just want it to be about just, you know, vanity of right, looking beautiful right. all the time. Um, I named it Inner Beauty because I feel, and it's my belief that if you feel great on the inside, you're going to exude it on the outside. Right. And if you look great on the outside, you're going to exude it from the inside. It kind of goes hand in hand. It's sometimes you have a bad hair day or, a, you know, you're just not feeling maybe the outfit that you put on. When you have that day when everything goes right, it's like you're walking on air. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So I wanted to be a part of that process for women to take it to the next level and, and feel gorgeous, you know, from the outside and playing a small part in uh, making them feel beautiful. Well, you know, I've seen some of the, I mean, you have some pictures, you yeah. have Facebook and, you know, they're pictures of beautiful women that you make just exquisite right. but there's also you know the everyday joe just doesn't have time to mess you know sometimes do all that to stuff, do right. all that every day oh my goodness but what i see a special occasion will come along and you will take an average woman and make her stunning and that's a gift well, you know, that's you. a wonderful that. gift because, um, like I say, we can't, we can't always focus on makeup and everything all the time, right. but, um, to make a special moment for someone, it's like you say, to make them feel beautiful. That that's big. That's enormous. I appreciate that. That's very, very kind of you to say. And um, it means a lot to me. And I know that I feel like we as women are such givers. We're always giving all the time to our significant others, our husbands, our children, our co-workers. We don't take the time to really take care of ourselves. We forget ourselves in the midst. And it's very important that we remember to be strong, um, not just physically and mentally for everyone else, but for ourselves. And if that means just putting a little lipstick on, a little lip balm, something as simple as that a little concealer brushing our hair before we take care of everyone else just that little pick me up will make us feel better I always use the example when you're in a plane the first thing they say in case of emergency is put on your oxygen mask right. because if you're no good to yourself you can't be good to anyone else so I always encourage ladies that I work with to take a little time for themselves and it's not considered selfish right it's just considered being a better you so that you can be the best version of yourself for someone else you know well listen I just I want to thank you so very, very much for coming because um, beautiful women sometimes always get the 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 show and everything. But you make the everyday woman, you make the person that that maybe they're. I know we were talking about earlier, but people with cancer. Right. When you make someone that's really struggling feel good, that mental boost can be something that that gets to the person's spirit and that's the end goal that's always the end goal just to really touch them from the inside and to know i play a small part in that means the world and i look forward to the continued journey of making women feel beautiful from the outside into the end
Well, listen, I think, I think that's your own mission. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a personal mission in life, and I think it's a beautiful mission. Thank you. Danielle, if somebody wants to contact you, how do they contact you? Oh, I am on all social media platforms, starting with my website. You can look me up at InHerBeautyNY, that's I-N-H-E-R-B-E-A-U-T-N-Y.com. And you can find that social media hashtag on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and YouTube as well. I have my own YouTube channel. Oh, my goodness. Very good. And congratulations. Thank you We're so, so much, proud God. of you. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> all righty. <laughs> We all know someone who's been touched by cancer. It's the second leading cause of death. And it took the life of my father, John Wayne. But even in his final days, he was thinking about helping others and publicly campaigning to raise awareness about cancer. His courage and grit inspired our family to do everything we could to fight the big C, as my dad called it. So we did something about it and founded the John Wayne Cancer Institute 35 years ago to advance life-saving research. Our discoveries are fundamentally changing the way cancer is treated around the world. Cures are within our reach, but we can't do it alone. I'm Patrick Wayne, and I'd be honored if you joined us in the fight against cancer. You can make a lasting legacy by helping to eradicate this deadly disease. Together, we can save lives. To learn more, visit jwcigiving.org. That's jwcigiving.org. I have children. How can I protect them if something happens? Will my assets be lost if I go into a nursing home? We have property. How will it affect the ones still here? Who will help us take care of Grandma? These questions can be answered by calling 718-238-6500 for a free consultation from Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, providing dedicated, caring, and highly responsive legal services. They're focused on issues that matter to you, protection of your family, preservation of your assets, and respect of your wishes with dignity. That's all I want from a lawyer, making it easier for my children. Call 718-238-6500. Get a free consultation. Connors & Sullivan's clients don't get lost in the cracks. They have dedicated attorneys who know their clients and the issues that matter most to them. Connors and Sullivan's estate planning, elder law, and probate attorneys work closely with every client. Don't leave behind problems for your family. Call 718-238-6500 and get a free consultation today. Connors and Sullivan, plan now for later. Welcome back to Ask the Lawyer with Mike Connors. Welcome to the Connors Corner segment of Ask the Lawyer. Right now, I'm very pleased to have a legitimate Hall of Fame baseball player, Orlando Cepeda. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing great. Some of the younger listeners may not remember you, but you came up in what year, 1958? Yeah, 1958. San Francisco Giants. Okay, and that was a great team back then. You had teammate Willie Mays, and you guys went to the playoffs and World Series in 1962, and you were one of the best hitters on the team. What do you remember about that season? That was a great year. You know, we have to wait until the last game of the season. So we tied the Dodgers. Then we had to play a three-game playoff before. And then we won. Then we played the Yankees in 1962 War Series. And it was seven games, and... Willie McCovey hit a line drive that Bobby Richardson caught. Otherwise, you guys might have won that World Series. You would have won that World Series. Yeah, I was in the batting circle, you know. And then uh, was a matter of second and third, and McCovey had the play, so everybody figured out they're going to walk him to pitch to me. Well, they're walking. They pitched to him. 
and it ran right, right to Bobby Richardson, right to second base. You, you're playing with the Giants. You have an injury, and they trade you off to St. Louis. How did you feel when you were traded? Well, sad, you know, because uh, I grew up in the Giants organization. You know, I played from 1955 to 66. So I love San Francisco so much. Uh, like I said before, I grew up with that team. So when they trade me, it's very hard, yeah. But after a couple of days, start forgetting Giant. I'm with the Cardinals. So I work, work out perfect because the St. Louis Cardinals was a great organization. And if I remember correctly, you won Comeback Player of the Year that year playing for St. Louis. In 66, yes. Now, you got a chance to play in the World Series with the Cardinals. What was it like finally being on a World Series champion? Great. Great team. Great teammate. You know, was the MVP that year, unanimous. You know, for the Cardinals, Tim McCarver, Bob Gibson, Lou Brock, Kurt Flood, Julian Javier, Roger Maris, Mike Shannon, Bob Gibson. Great team. Great teammate. And I Enjoy very, very much playing there. Great town, great baseball town. Again, you get traded for Joe Torre a couple of years later to Atlanta. What was it like playing in Atlanta? Yeah, I was playing with Hank Aaron, you know. Hank, uh, not only he was a great best, one of the best player ever played this game. A great teammate, a great friend. Yeah, I enjoyed there. You ended up your career as one of the first of the designated hitters. What did you think about the designated hitter rule at the time? Well, I was confused. I don't know what's going on. And they called me. They asked me. I didn't know what they were talking about. So I enjoyed playing there, too. I got a question to ask you, which I don't think hardly anybody in the audience remembers. But there was the last ball game ever played in the polo grounds. Do you remember that game? It was Latin American? Yeah, I remember, I remember that day. Who were some of the players in that game? Well, uh, Clemente was there. Uh, Tony Oliva was there. Juan Marichal was there. Uh, Luis Aparicio was there. Sort of the best Latin players were there. Best Latin players in that era played that game. Now, this was a postseason game after the World Series. How much did you get paid to play in that game? Do you remember? Like $300. $300? Right. How much money were you making back then, let's say, in, in the 60s? As, you know, the best first baseman in the National League. How much money were you making back then? 50000 Not quite the money they're making today. No. You can't even compare that. Now a bad boy makes that kind of money. <laughs> now, I got a question to ask you. A couple of weeks ago, we had Roger Craig on our show, and we talked a little bit about, uh, I don't know what you would call it, a confrontation you had. The Mets against the Giants, I think 1962, Willie Mays was on second base. You were on first base. What do you remember about that day? I remember what happened was that uh, when we played, we played the Mets the weekend before at the Polo Ground, and Roger hit me. So then when they came to San Francisco, he hit me again, Roger. I'm on first base, and I looked to second base. I saw uh, Chacon and Willie hitting each other, so I went there to try to help or whatever. So Roger was 
start running toward the second base. I went after Roger, and well, you know that 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 happens. Things like that happen. You know, when you're on the field, you know you're warm, and you want to win, and yeah, well, I remember that very well. Okay, and that was you know 1962. Yes. If you your one accomplishment, your your the accomplishment you're most proud of from your professional baseball career, what would it be? Well, my first game, the big league, 1958, April 15, 1958, my first All-Star game, the MVP in 67, 66 Comeback Player of the Year, and 2019, yeah, 1999 Hall of Fame. Going to the Hall of Fame is, is amazing. Still today, sometimes I don't believe it. But I am in the Hall of Fame. A lot of people may not remember, but back in the, the mid-60s, batting averages, home runs were way down from other parts of baseball history. You know, like sometimes, you know, somebody looks at your stats and they say, ah, it's okay. But for somebody, you know, in the 60s to have the, the batting production you had, you were one of the best offensive players in baseball. And the ballpark, they were big. The ones, you know, playing on the stick park. Then I went to St. Louis, that self-hitting ballpark, you know. And uh, I remember, you know, we uh, when I came up, they have eight teams in the National League, and nine teams, and eight teams in the American League. That was different. That was different. Yeah. But I, I hit some self-hitting ballpark. San Francisco, the wind blowing in all the time. What would you say is the biggest difference between today's baseball and the baseball as it was played in the 60s and to the 70s? I believe it should be more talent. Like I said before, it's only 18. Now they got 12, 10 or 12 teams, I don't know, right now. Um, before, I remember that we had some great players in the, <clears throat> in the minor league. Every team had some great ball players in the minor league. And it used to be hard to make the big league, you know. Now you hit two ten, you have a chance to make the same spring training. And the reason I play in '58 because Bill White went to the uh, army under nobody because I hit 393 my first year in the minor league. I led the league in '56. I led the league in everything. My second year, I hit 310 in Triple A. Still, they don't think I'm going to make the big league. Now you have a chance to. I mean, don't get me wrong, but today they got some great players. But we have some great players, too. Who was the toughest pitcher for you that you ever faced? Well, I faced quite a few. I faced uh, Juan Marichal, Bob Gibson, Sandy Koufax, Ferguson Jenkins, Nolan Ryan, Tom Silver. Yeah, I faced some tough pitchers. Uh, you played with Willie Mays, Hank Aaron, the great players on the Cardinals. What were some of the memories you have? Let's say of Willie Mays. Do you have a Willie Mays story? Well, Willie, you know, Willie was, Willie was the best player I ever seen in my life. Uh, Hank Aaron is right there with Willie. And people don't talk about Frank Robinson. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, people don't talk about Frank Robinson. Frank Robinson was as good as anybody. Frank Robinson was a guy who can steal bases, who can go from first to third, was a clutch hitter, 
He played hard every game. He played every game. You know, they got some Ernie Banks. They, have, they got some great players. Then that today they make him 20 millions a year because they do it all. You take one Mary child with 20 games every year, 25 games, he's going to start young. So I play with some great players. I saw some great player, great ball. Great. I mean, great ball player. Ike Line, Mickey Mantle, Roger Mary, great Brooke Robinson, Luis Aparicio. If I, you know, I keep going and going and going and going. And you know, they don't have TV in those days. They have the game of the week. Now they have every game on TV today. That's why they're making more money today. Right. People in that era, they only knew Mickey Mantle, Woody Mays, but, you know, some other, like I said before, Frank Robinson, Ike Line, I mean, Luis Aparicio, those people trying to play the game of baseball. Now, what are you doing with yourself today? Retire. You know, I work for the Giants. What do you do for the Giants? Nothing. <laughs> I guess that's a good job to have. I hope you enjoy it. it. I do some. I, you know, I go there. I go, I go supreme training. I do charity things on the city, San Francisco. Whatever they ask me to do, I do it. Thank you for sharing your thoughts on history, baseball history, with our audience. We, you know, wish you well and continued success in the rest of your career. Thank you very much. Thank okay. you very, very much. Appreciate that. Thank you, Orlando. Thanks. Okay, Hall of Famer Orlando Cepeda, the baby bull. And, you know, again, some people, they look at stats, and you got to look them in context. You know, 1963 to 1968, those six years, there was, a, you know, like a mini ice age in baseball where batting averages were low, home runs were low. Eventually they lowered the mound in 1969, and it started to get a little bit more back in balance. But a guy like Orlando Cepeda, who was still hitting in that time period, great Hall of Fame ball player, and, you know, his talent should be appreciated. And, you know, I remembered, you know, a couple of months ago, we were talking to Ron Hunt about the 1964 All-Star Game. And, you know, in that 1964 All-Star Game, you had Roberto Clemente, uh, Hank Aaron, and, and uh, Roberto Clemente, Hank Aaron, and Willie Mays starting the outfield with Frank Robinson on the bench. So that was that wasn't there was an awful lot of talent back then, and uh, you know, and I'm not saying players today are not as talented by any stretch. The best are the best, and I think you always have to go on that premise that the best major leaguer at any one time is as good as the players of another time. Now, Beth, I want to you know we took a few email questions today, but we didn't give you know if you want to email us a question, you got to do it at the answer at connorsandsullivan dot com. The answer at connorsandsullivan.com. Everything spelled out. Okay. And what about Facebook? Maybe you can step well, on that. Well, like us on Facebook. Um, Why? Because you get all the updates, what's coming up, what's already been. Um, one of the best things, uh, if you if you liked one of your interviews, um, those end up going on YouTube, and that's connected with our Facebook so um, Facebook is just a very good pl- way to 
get everything. But it sh- it tells you what's upcoming for the next show, and you can go back in time. And we have pictures with the people. So many of these people we've met personally. Um, but the other thing is YouTube. Anybody that knows, you can do a YouTube search and um, get the best of Connor's Corner. Okay, and remember again, one of the things about liking the Facebook page or getting on the Facebook page is you get to see pictures of, of a lot of these people that we're talking about. And, you know, in some cases when we're talking to some of the, the baseball stars, you get a picture of them today, you get a picture of them when they were playing. And, you know, the same with actors and actresses. And, you know, tune into Facebook. It's no big deal. It's but, fun. Facebook but, is fun. But like us. We're trying to get our like pages up. We're over a thousand now, but we want and to get to the you next can, level. If you if you're on Facebook, you can also send a private message there, and that can we can read that if you'd like. Okay. Yeah, you can also ask. You know, if you want the question to be private, please. Yeah. Do that, and we'll respond to you in writing. Uh, now we got something coming up with uh, Regina. Pachas Opera? Regina Opera Company. Um, it's their 47th anniversary gala concert, Sunday, April 2nd, 2017, at 3 o'clock p.m. A two-hour concert. That's right. So get your... <laughs> get your act we can't go unfortunately but a two-hour concert of your favorite opera and broadway tunes this weekend um the performance or is the performances are at olph catholic academy 5902 6th avenue at 60th street brooklyn it's a good time okay david kikay time to say good night oh no civil war roundtable april 12th ed bars bye-bye Raised heads bowed down We're gathered here on hallowed ground To sing this song away We are gathered here on hallowed ground Voices raised, heads bowed down We're gathered here on hallowed ground To sing this song away Mike Connors, host of Ask the Lawyer and published in New York Magazine's top-rated lawyers. Whether assisting a client with drafting a will or trust, power of attorney, health care proxy, nursing home plan, or other matter, Connors & Sullivan's goal is always the protection of their clients' rights and interests. Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, has dedicated attorneys that can help you with estate planning, elder law, and probate. They listen to their clients to learn about their families, their financial picture, and their long-term goals to create a comprehensive plan to meet your objectives. They assist with the complex tax matters that are often involved in estate planning and probate. Contact Connors & Sullivan Attorneys at Law, PLLC, with offices in Brooklyn, Queens, Midtown Manhattan, and Staten Island to schedule a free consultation with an attorney. 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. And listen to Ask the Lawyer right here every Saturday evening at 6. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
the explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.